joy, and all of its offshoots, like laughter, are powerful things. The infectiousness of simply hearing someone lost in laughter. You'll notice in that film I showed, no one could even see what that guy was watching on his iPad. It didn't matter. Our two minutes to talk question, how do you define joy and what's one thing that brings you great joy? They're unassuming. We think of joy, though, in such fleeting ways. I've asked these questions of folks before, so without getting into all of your conversations, I can make some assumptions. Oftentimes you'll talk about someone who brought you great joy or continues to bring you great joy or some random inanimate object. For me, growing up, there was this county store in my hometown and it did bubblegum gum drops, which for me is like the twice-baked potato of the candy industry. It was like all the gum. And I, I, I mean, I can remember. I can remember the taste. I still look for it when I enter certain places. I can remember the packaging. And I just got so sad when I couldn't find it anymore. But again, it's really fleeting. And for as much as we've heard in these scriptures about joy and faith, was faith a part of any of the answers to the questions that I asked? And should it be? This is a hard time to talk about joy. Flags in our country are perpetually at half-staff. Racial injustice remains prevalent, senseless violence, our status quo. I can watch with the fervor in which people continue to protect gun restrictions, rights to own guns, while others are being stripped of rights over their bodily autonomy. And yet... The scriptures call us back to our faith, to seek joy, to spread joy, to be empowered, to discern and act, not to be passive. Faith is an active thing. That's why we need to talk about joy right now. Not fleeting joy, but the joy of joys, a perpetual, sustainable joy. And because I'm a bit of a nerd, I can tell you science supports scriptures. And I wanted to share some little factoids I have picked up over the ages. Happiness can boost our immune systems. Research published in the Journal of Psychosomatic Medicine found that people who have more positive emotions are less likely to develop the common cold. A 2005 study in the Journal of Consulting and Clinical Psychology reported women with chronic pain or arthritis who also exhibited consistent positive emotions were less likely to feel the pain associated with their conditions. By making others happy, we make ourselves happy. Multiple studies have shown people who do good deeds, like giving to charities, feel happier. The British Medical Journal goes as far as saying happiness is contagious, and that when we do good, it triggers our brain to want to do more good. Now, researchers from the University of Minnesota found a portion of happiness is inherited, meaning patterns of happiness or positive thinking correlate to genetics. So in hard times, where do you find joy? I admit, Netflix, pints of chocolate ice cream, multiple pints, friends who wind me up, more than they wind me down, scrolling endlessly on Instagram or Twitter. 
All the while, Psalm 119 is calling for our attention. Verse 29, keep me from lying to myself. Verse 35, make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Verse 67, I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. This psalm is a solve. It's showcasing how joy, a deep joy, is so interconnected with our faith, specifically the discipline in which we practice our faith. I found another stat when reading into joy and happiness. The Journal of Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin found that people paid by the hour tend to be happier than those with set salaries. It's interesting, right? We become often transactional. We think about the value that we provide. We think if I'm working 80 hours a week, but I'm being paid for 40 hours a week, is that fair? We start to kind of unravel as humans. I've been there. Then I think about our second scripture, written by Paul while he was imprisoned, knowing he'd be put to death. Within all of that context, he remains transfixed on his faith. The joy he holds onto that stems from his faith, how thankful and blessed he's been for those who spread joy and goodwill to him in prison. Because again, in those times, anything that he could have in prison, food, other things, was only what people would bring him. Only what people would give. No one was going to give Paul anything. There was no room in prison that he could visit and check out books or go to the gym or anything like that. The Hebrew word blessed actually translates to happy. Again, that joy and walking in faith and living in faith, no matter the situation. Paul pens words of contentment, reaching contentment. Daniel Cordato, a Berkeley researcher, wrote in 2020 about a five-year study his team had conducted. The team was hoping to see nuances in the very definition of emotions and how different emotions were valued by various cultures. The study took his team all the way to the Himalayas of eastern Bhutan, a settlement of 200 families, no electricity, No internet, no cell phones, no printed media. This community is one of three in the whole world to be classified as truly off the grid. What struck the research team was contentment. Often seen as the highest achievement of well-being, the community defines contentment as the knowledge of enough. Right here and now, everything is perfect as it is, regardless of what you're experiencing outside. Seeing how contentment was revered across so many cultures, Daniel was inspired to conduct more research into contentment versus happiness, and he essentially identified two life strategies. The strategy of more. More money, more power, more outside validation. 
He also identified that that strategy of more costs a lot in time, energy, and resources. And then there is another strategy, what he labels the enough strategy. And in 90% of those that he would identify as, you know, contented, there was a word that many used, unconditional wholeness. Daniel reported that contentment in this enough strategy were rare and that people using it sought no external input. Instead, they sourced a lot from within. Why? External sources are always out of control. You see a lack of stability in so much that is beyond what you can control. So ultimately, contentment comes from our relationship to what is going on around us rather than our reaction to it. I'll say that again because there's a lot to that. Contentment comes from our relationship to what is going on around us rather than our reaction to it. And so again, in the spirit of being a bit of a substitute teacher, I want to show you an excerpt, again, from a commencement speech that David Foster Wallace did many years ago, and I think I've turned to it for over a decade now. Um, But it really, I think, unpacks in a very powerful way this idea of contentment from a relationship to what is going on around us rather than our reaction to it. So let's show that now. So every day comes with chunks of choices. And I agree with David Foster Wallace about this idea of choice. But I think the next time I'm feeling down, I'm letting the brokenness of all the things consume me and I'm heading toward the pint of ice cream, do I go somewhere else and why do I go somewhere else? In those moments, in all moments, how will you better live into joy? That is the question I want you to ask and walk away with. How will you commit to seeking joy, to spreading joy, and giving all the glory to God? I will close with Paul's prayer from Romans fifteen thirteen. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.